Malcolm Honeline with us live via telephone. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. I hope everybody had a meaningful but easy fast and um, that the lessons will not be lost on us. Amen to that. Although you don't even mention the thing that I always prioritize. I hope it was a fast fast for everybody. That's what I always say. It's a long fast, especially <laughs> given the weather and having a lot of places without the door minyanim and uh, no air conditioning. But uh, I think we, we proved our mettle, uh, and uh, I, I them, certainly Tishabab was more meaningful this year, perhaps for many people given yes. circumstances and the reminders that it contains. By the way, once travel starts again, keep in mind that in Melbourne last night, the fast ended at 6.15, so it's something you may want to consider if the long tissue above in this area is bothering you. No, but it probably began at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, that might be the case. I, I don't know about that. Um, well, you, you've warned us many, many times over the last many years about um, using certain expressions in a very... Uh, in a very liberal way, and I don't mean that politically liberal. I'm just saying, you know, in a in a, in a very off the cuff manner. Uh, how do you how do you view it when representatives of our government, like uh, Clyburn and Pelosi, uh, use the terms stormtroopers, secret police, and Gestapo uh, to refer to the uh, military representatives of the United States of America? Well, obviously, I think it's, uh, we have to be very careful with the trivialization of things related to the Holocaust or persecution, anti-Semitism, uh, as well as racism, all kind. You don't want to see that these terms become meaningless, and especially when those in public office use them. People have to be careful. You know, we've become sloppy, in the, in the, and often uh, many don't understand the significance of the words that they use, and they use them so lightly when, in fact, they carry great significance and weight. On the subject of using words and allowing others to get away with certain words, what do you think of Twitter's decision, that word might be in quotation marks, that Khomeini in Iran can publicly use their platform to call for the elimination of Israel, but obviously certain statements by the President of the United States have to be eliminated? Well, I watched the testimony of the representatives in the the Knesset and some of them that spoke before the Congress, and I find such inconsistency and, and and the you know ridiculous justifications for some of the decisions that they that they have made and the, that the people who they do block and the people they don't block and what, how these decisions are reached i know that there are uh, the, the jewish voice newspaper for instance uh, was dropped from or, or blocked <clears throat> on some of the uh, internet uh, systems for no reason, I didn't do anything wrong, but it, it seems to me that it's very arbitrary and that it's, uh, you know, we see really disgusting statements made by, by entertainers, officials, others, and yet it's carried. Uh, how long did it take till Farrakhan's comments or others' were comments were even scrutinized in the way that they should be? It, it doesn't seem to be any single standard, and I'm not saying that there should, we should impose strict censorship but I do believe there has to be some standards, and, and we don't see it. And young people are affected by it and infected by it. We see it in, in the way that they respond to, that when anti-Semitic or, or 
racist other comments that they they rise to the defense of people making it just because they have to be a popular figure yeah. uh, it's really uh, it's very worrisome because the minds are being warped the, the the standards are being dropped you know we see the you know what Moynihan called the dumbing down of deviancy there's really no comp- well I shouldn't say that D- does something strike your memory when you see this happen because I'm thinking with the speed that this is all going on and the fact that a leader in Iran can make a statement that's really read by the rest of the world within seconds is there anything anything comparable in history where you say to yourself you know this inconsistency is very much like you know what it is that you're referring to just the speed makes it so different well first thing about uh, that we should say on the, on the Khomeini stuff is that would any other country be subject to uh, a leader of a major power, it's a country of 80 million people, calling for the destruction of another state, a democratic state, a member of the United Nations, and there wouldn't be an uprising to throw them out of the UN, to throw them out of the international community. You still see those who are defending it in the United States as the lead on, on the sanctions. We see the Europeans lagging behind. We see, and and there are so many things that they're doing. They did this week this massive uh, war games where they attacked uh, a mock-up of an American aircraft carrier of the Nimitz uh, class at the same time that the USS Nimitz actually came into the uh, and replaced the Eisenhower in the Persian Gulf. But the the statements that he makes, the charges that they that they lodge, uh, you know, uh, based in in classical anti-Semitic uh, references of conspiracies, blaming them for COVID and for everything else, that the the, um, uh, the the deprivation of their own people gets no real recognition anywhere. And yet nobody would tolerate this if everybody, if they had a leader who said, wipe out Sweden, yeah. wipe out Norway, wipe out Jordan. And yet this is tolerated. And th- this is... Does it remind me of the big lie of in the 30s when, when excuses were made here in the United States that you had leaders, um, national figures who, who um, defended the Nazis, associated with the Nazis, uh, and to try to, to excuse Hitler that they even went to the, the, the 36 Olympics and so many other things when he was spouting all of this Going back to when he published Mein Kampf, and, and then, of course, as he got elected to office in '33, and and the newspapers and the media in America excused it. Look at the New York Times headlines in 1933. You know, he's a, they call him a Chaplin-esque figure, referencing Charlie Chaplin, or mm-hmm. saying von Ribbentrop, the president, would never let him implement his racist ideology. I mean, there's so many examples. So, if you ask me, do I hear echoes of the past? Yes, because we see that that human nature doesn't change. That the you know the ignorance and the, the bigotry that that is portrayed is uh, is reflected in past periods. And knowing where this can go, because again, history tells us where this can go. Boy, do we have to fight this right now? And that means fighting the expressions being used by American government officials, fighting what social media giants are doing. Certainly, in terms of uh, allowing the uh, anti-Israel or anti any democratic country uh, and the call for its abolition. Uh, to be uh, published uh, online. Uh, We really have to work really hard um, uh, on these issues, and I hope that those who are listening right now who who are inclined to be in touch with our government officials and to express dissatisfaction with some of the things we've already discussed this morning, I I hope they act on it. 
Uh, it's an opportunity. You always say it's an opportunity during the summer when public officials are usually at their home base, meaning not Washington. It's usually a good opportunity. And I know it's hard now with COVID and all that, but still, they it, you would have to assume that they have the attention of the local people a little bit more, especially now in an election year. So I would hope that people would take advantage of that and really get involved uh, on these issues. Absolutely. And people should use this opportunity also to know the facts, to find out what's just with what went on this week with let's say Iran, which hardly gets any any coverage. You know, the Hezbollah incursion in northern Lebanon we saw, but the, 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 who talks about 150,000 missiles that Iran provided them and the guidance systems that they're getting, yeah. all of which pose the threats that they, they, they put them in civilian homes, that, the, that Israel did not shoot and kill the Hezbollah agents that they saw. They saw them as they were approaching the blue line and they crossed and they fired shots clearly to send them scurrying back and to send a message rather than, you know, just escalate the violence. And and then you have um, um, the, the, the um, denial by Hezbollah that it even took place. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about Iran in just a moment. I, I want to just finish up one thing on this side of the world, and that is um, we talk about statements, we talk about people who are uh, high profile, who are taking certain positions publicly and getting away with it. Uh, Canadian actor Seth Rogen, as you know, uh, made statements this week, uh, which started with a quote, I was fed a huge amount of mm-hmm. lies in referring to his Jewish heritage and the state of Israel. Uh, again, I don't know if you have any other suggestion other than people like ourselves standing up and uh, and slamming him over the remarks that he made about the Jewish state. And the problem to me is that there are a lot of young people, including young Jews, which he is, uh, he is Jewish, um, making similar statements because they're being fed the lies and they, they are vulnerable to them. I mean, to say that he was lied to, what was the lie? said that he was told nobody was in the land when they came. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever said there was nobody there. That was the, does he t- tell this true story about how the Palestinian refugee issue came when Arab leaders told them to leave, and if they didn't, they would die along with the Zionists? Does he talk about when the mayor of Haifa stood there and begged them not to leave, the Arabs not to leave? Does he, does he tell the real story of what, that this was a war situation? Does he tell that the 900,000 Jews that were forced to leave Arab countries, maybe more, but certainly more than Arab refugees that were created? Does he tell the story about how they were absorbed and the refugees kept in camps? Nobody made this story. The Israelis let many come back. There was reunification of family that allowed tens of thousands. And how many more moved to the Galil, even in recent years? So the, the fact that the the, that you can spread a lie like that, and it hardly gets challenged. That uh, you, you know, the, you mentioned the Rothschilds, and I had occasion to talk to some of the people who were involved in some of the anti-Semitic statements, and they are not anti-Semites. I don't believe. I believe that they were fed lines, and those who are intelligent and open-minded are um, have said that they were they were wrong and expressed uh, regret for for what they said. But uh, you see, number one, the influence of Farrakhan yep. in, in a lot of these people, which to me, frankly, was surprising that, that this 86-year-old hater and bigot really influences people who don't necessarily buy into his ideology or theology, but are influenced by it. That you mentioned Rothschild, they all have this instant reaction of the controlling bankers and, and then about the conspiracies, the Illuminati. I tell them, you know, a whole important position I've never been invited to a meeting, so I'm really pretty upset if this is going on, and I don't know about it. 
<laughs> you know, but uh, but you know, it's scary how how I, the lies, the big lies, yeah. still permeate. I, I want to make a comparison, and, and I'm sort of afraid to do so, but I need your opinion on this. You know, in the world of sports, as you know, you go back a couple of decades, the famous statement by Michael Jordan: "You know, Republicans buy sneakers too," and most people were hesitant. High profile people. He was one of the most famous people in the world at that point. High profile people were afraid to get involved in politics and make statements. And now, of course, you see it's much different, much, much different in the world of sports. Uh, th- this summer proves it. I'm sort of getting the impression that Jewish uh, high profile people take Seth Rogen for a moment, who 20 years ago would not have dared say something publicly against Israel. It would have been against their their nature, so to speak. I sort of think like they they might feel that they're they'd be more comfortable in this country if they join the group and help pile on the opinion that Israel is not you know everything it's cracked up to be, so to speak. Um, and, and I'm getting worried that some of the high profile people who are you know who normally would be considered supporters of Israel or sympathetic to Israel now feel they need to take a certain political position just to be more comfortable in this country. And certainly they don't rise to the defense. Um, I don't know that 20 years ago it was really different. We had people but uh, the, uh, who expressed anti-Israel views on campus and elsewhere. The difference today, number one, is the Internet, right. which gives instant access to, to limitless numbers of people, especially young people. It has magnified the impact of these uh, entertainers, of public people, personalities of all kinds, and their ability to spread the messages instantly. It took Hitler months to spread a big lie. It, they can do it in a nanosecond. So that really accounts for much, I think, of the, of the growth of, it, of the anti-Semitism and its ability to, to permeate um, the societies. Also, it tells you how much these messages of hate have been inculcated over time, that the images of Jews and stuff that is not done necessarily publicly, but is... Uh, allowed to flow through the various sub-channels of society and to, to, to get to young people, to get to, to, into schools, to get to, all over, that teachers of hate uh, are allowed to continue to, to, to profess at universities. Right. That the, I mean, it's really, uh, all and, the standards are gone. And even those who have no hatred or opinion on these issues, now all of a sudden, oh, I never thought of that, and they go ahead and... and you know, follow what people like him have to say because they've never really considered an opinion on this issue and figure, oh, that that makes sense. And you know, what worries me is that young Jews are vulnerable to these same uh, influences and mouth the same lines because they're not given the proper education, they're not given the background, they're not uh, armed before they go. You know, into into onto a campus. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and often when they are given the right education, unfortunately, the internet and outside forces uh, do away with that. Uh, anyway, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at AlchemSingle dot com, the AlchemSingle network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app, please keep in mind, Tamar Elisheva Bastvora for Rafur Shlema. Tamar Elisheva Bastvora for Rafur Shlema, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. Um, all right, I, I have I have more stuff on this side of the world, but you're right, we have to talk about Iran for a moment. So there's, there's a rumor or a news account or somewhere in between that two key Iranian uh, minister uh, ministry leaders, uh, military ministry leaders, military leaders, uh, have turned against the regime, and this might explain why it's been so easy for U.S. intelligence and Israeli 
and, and those who act on, on, on information from Iran, who might be Israeli, uh, are finding it easy to um, uh, to explode things, to bomb things, to set things on fire. Uh, what could you tell us about dissension among those in the Iranian military? Well, there clearly is dissension and there are rivalries that take place, uh, you know, but I, I don't think that's the explanation. I think that that is... Um, that has not been demonstrated. We don't know yet exactly the story. You know, there were, uh, according to Iranian sources, 97 fires or explosions in the past year at factories and plants and hospitals. And a lot of it is because of the dismal condition of the infrastructure, the deterioration, the lack of maintenance, and that there clearly could be internal uh, actions, meaning uh, dissent, dissenters who are responsible. They blame the bombing of Natanz or the explosion of Natanz on the guy who built it, and they brought charges against him. The, um, uh, the you know the the actions that are taken against any dissenter, of course, in Iran, and if it's a military person, I'm sure it's even worse. But we had this week a huge war games in which Iran um, part, uh, uh, used. It's Air Force, it's uh, Navy, it's other um, resources, including the new Newer One satellite they put up, they put up, which they claim took high-resolution pictures, even though many people doubt it has the capacity. But they built a mock, not only of the aircraft carrier, but of our uh, THAAD uh, high-altitude defense system, and it involved uh, many ships. And, and you see almost no coverage of the fact that they're targeting in this ridiculous exercise, uh, um, uh, they made a copy of the uh, reduced size, but with 16 mock planes on it, and showing that they could take out an American aircraft carrier. Uh, the the exercise, which went on for for a few days, uh, included the firing of an underground uh, missile, uh, which is a new capacity. They said, um, and also was meant to show that they could threaten the Straits of Hormuz, through which 20% of the oil to the west uh, goes. And, you know, they, the, um, they lost 60 pro-Iranian militants in wow. just the last two months in Syria. They're, they're being whacked in so many ways, and yet they continued this bravado and their uh, exercises against uh, other countries in, in the region and way beyond uh, the region. So the, the first thing is that we don't get a true picture of what is happening inside Iran. The young people are really upset. People are, are unemployed. It's very significant. It's probably 50% unemployment. The um, currency is worthless. The conditions, there isn't medicine. The hospitals are full. They had 25 million cases of COVID, according to the president of Iran. This is not outside sources. He admitted it and said there will be 5 to 10 million more. They are are active uh, along Israel's borders, and uh, I spoke to a Jordanian official about it. And, you know, they privately they all express grave concern, but they're all afraid. And they're afraid, and we see that they, in the meantime they're shipping weapons into Syria, into into Yemen. They're involved in Libya. They're involved in all of these other um, areas of conflict, each of which could be extremely explosive because they involve multiple countries. You see the Russian-Turkish fight, you see the Russian-Iranian fight, and in Syria itself, Russia is pushing the Iranians out, even in, including in the Golan, where they're putting in their own militia to replace um, uh, the Iranian militias. 
and and these militias often are, are run by officers from the Caucasus who are sympathetic to Israel and hate Iran and Syria. The um, uh, again a story that you don't read about and people don't talk about, but the conflict between them inside of who will have influence, who will run Syria post-conflict. Uh, and it's a three-way fight with Turkey, Iran, and Syria. And the United States is the target for all of them to try and drive out the U.S. influence. And, and Iran is directly challenging it. They're not letting the inspectors into the sites. We know that this explosion in the Tans could have set them back significantly or did set them back significantly because it it's their advanced centrifuges, a um, major assembly place and manufacturing place. And, uh, and, and in the meantime, the people of Iran suffer and, and are, are going through all of this. And China, again, steps in and has been negotiating for a long time a, a deal. But it's going to exploit Iran's weakness. They're going to get the energy. They're going to sell stuff to Iran, make them more beholden to, to, uh, to China, which is not bound by any moral standards in, in these cases. You spoke about or mentioned, as you do each week, Russia's role in so many of these relationships and conflicts. Do we know anything regarding the this week's conversation between the President of the United States and the President of Russia outside of the fact that uh, that they didn't discuss the, the rumor that Russia paid the Taliban to kill U.S. troops, which, of course, the Democrats are going crazy about? Uh, anything else we know from that conversation? No. Wow. Do not know more than that. And... Um... You know, that's also a rarity these days that that everything isn't leaked right away. And then you don't know which accounts are true of of supposed discussions and things attributed to the president, to others, and turns out not to have been the case. What is clear is that um, uh, Russia, Putin, very shrewd, expanding his influence. He's in the middle of the fight over who will control at least half of Libya and looking at the energy control, uh, control of their energy, looking at, at the strategic positioning. He's involved in so many other conflicts, let alone, of course, in, in uh, Syria right. and in the region. Then you have another fight that in Armenia where you have the great powers involved and could be sparked by anything into a much bigger conflagration than the low-level conflict that's going on there. And many of these become have religious overtones or racial and, and ethnic overtones that could have broader uh, ramifications. So uh, he's taking advantage of any vacuum that he finds where he can extend their influence in achieving what even the Tsars did, which is the footprint in the Mediterranean, bypassing Turkey the, and the soft underbelly of of, um, of Russia. Uh, and to to have a presence and become a, a voice, and he spends a minimal amount of money. He just now took over Dar al Azur in Syria. He, he moved sixty a convoy of sixty armored vehicles in tanks, and they just keep expanding and are building up their presence there because he's looking to what will be the final outcome, the ultimate outcome, and so he is securing. Russia's uh, positions with the air force base he has, the, the naval base that he has. These are strategic locations that he is making sure Russia will be in control of. Um, I think you mentioned earlier, and Israel actually stopped the Hezbollah raid up north this week, correct? Right. Two, there were four, three to four people. It's interesting. Israel is clearly playing it down because they don't want to give an excuse for an uh, escalation. Um, I thought Hezbollah was playing it down because usually their leaders are pretty proud of this stuff. Well, they did because, but but it was such a blatant action because they crossed over. Israel already picked them up before they got to the border, the blue line. 
They crossed, they watched them as they crossed the blue line. They fired shots at them. The guy scurried away. There was never any return of, of uh, fire, as uh, they claimed. And then Hezbollah denied that anything even took place. They, too, don't want an escalation because they're losing the people of Lebanon. Lebanon is in total disruption today. The economic conditions there continue to deteriorate. The people then say, who's causing this? What is happening? And they know that they don't have the support to go to another war because the people of Lebanon will pay the price. They are part of the Lebanese government. There's no limitations this time on, on what you do when you, you strike back. Uh, the, the debate this week largely was about the renewal of the uniform mandate and trying to make give it some teeth because clearly they're not living up to their responsibility of um, uh, you know stopping the expansion of Hezbollah's efforts. They're bringing the missiles in. They've clearly built missile rooms in thousands of homes in in southern Lebanon. The uh, and Israel has built up, by the way, its positions on the Lebanese and Syrian borders because of the expectation of some retaliatory strike, because Israel hit in Syria and killed one of the Hezbollah operatives along with others. And, you know, they've been operating pretty much uh, with a free hand against the Iranian shipments of weapons and to Hezbollah and to, to into Syria, trying to get into Lebanon. Syrian border or Lebanese border or both? Both. They, they so, so compared to a year ago? That they've, sh- they've been sending up to the border. Compared to a year ago, the numbers are are, are clearly more of Israeli troops yeah. on the borders. Yes. Wow, interesting. And that and and it continues. They reinforced it again because of the expectation. You know, the last time after there was a raid, Hezbollah penetrated three places on Israel's northern border. Well, thank God they didn't get through. Their intent is to kidnap, is to kill, and to hold them as as hostages. You know, to make deals again in trades, right. uh, uh, but most of all to humiliate Israel and to show the people that they are are responding. So they don't even acknowledge a lot of the losses and and uh, what happens because they know that the, the people in Lebanon have turned against them. They've had to shrink their operations in Lebanon in part because Iran can't give them the same amounts of money uh, anymore as they have. American sanctions are working, and if the Europeans join, would be more powerful, but they are very effective. And even Chinese, are, some of the factors, are, are not willing to take the chance on, on losing the ability to do business with America. So if we, if we had a more concerted international effort we could bring about real change and stop the kind of horrendous activities that Iran is involved in mm-hmm. around the globe. Yep, understood. Um, on the Israel political front, first of all, are these facts correct? And then I'll ask you if the uh, the opinion piece of this question is correct. So, and so now I read that Prime Minister Netanyahu will not go to court until January. It's almost half a year from now. That there must be a decision on the budget or an agreement on the budget by August the 25th. Otherwise, it can go to elections. Those are the two factual things which you'll tell me in a moment if those are right or wrong. And then on the opinion piece, what I read was that he, he because last week I, I brought up the possibility of a fourth election. It sounded like you were, you know, like on the fence about it. But now they say politically it would make sense because it would, if he won overwhelmingly enough, if his numbers in the final tally were strong enough, then this threat of having him suspended from office uh, during the trial would go away. So, again, the facts and the opinion which are correct here. So, um, uh, let's start first with the uh, the deadline for the budget is right. 
And the law that was introduced is that if the budget doesn't pass, it automatically calls for a new election. That election would be held, I think, in December, because you need three months, so September, right. October, November. Yes, it would be late November, December. Um, the opposition, as you know, Benny Gantz has low numbers, so Netanyahu, uh, the, the polls showed, would, would win a big majority. But, you know, there's been a lot of dissent, even though the, it's exaggerated because it's a thousand people that demonstrate in front of his home. Right. But there is uh, a fatigue, there's no doubt, and, and it increases, but there's also no opposition to him. There's no figure that can mobilize people uh, at this point, so the likelihood if there's an election, he would win. Is the strategy right, that it would pre- an overwhelming uh, victory would prevent his suspension from government during the trial? No. Uh, he might try to pass one of those laws uh, again, but, um, the, 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 well, first of all, they don't say he's going to be suspended during the hearings in January, Um, but uh, there there was talk of introducing legislation, and part of the agreement, I think, was that they don't do it, Mm. but uh, there are people who say he doesn't want to let guns, you know, really become prime minister, that he's not ready to step down and have the rotation. Many people said it right away in the beginning, that it would never happen. Um, They're having these differences, and the difference in terms of budget, seems to be about whether you make it a one-year or two-year budget, but you're talking about adopting something already when half the year is gone. So <laughs> it's it seems to be an artificial thing, which is why I think people are, are mocking it or, or saying that it's just a, a, a cover. So in terms of, of that, people don't want to go to another election, a fourth election. Yeah, but now it does look more likely, no? It, it does more look likely than it did a, a week ago, right. even though I still think that uh, the vast majority of people don't want to go through this exercise you, again. You do believe cooler heads will prevail. I mean, it, I do not necessarily believe cooler heads will prevail. <laughs> <laughs> you're hoping, you're hoping you know. that cooler heads will prevail. You know, I, I mean, as we know, compared to the way it was, I know that this expression might, you know, <laughs> might strike fear in people, but I mean, COVID's running rampant in Israel compared to what was going on, you know, in April and May. Um, I mean, could it end up that this virus destroys him politically? The, virus, the handling of the virus has certainly undermined the tremendous numbers he got at the beginning because of the way they handled it, and they were boasting right. about how well they did, and now clearly, you know, that has... By the uh, way, been, the President of the United States yesterday mentioned Israel in a list of countries that were doing great and now are not. Israel made that list from his mouth at a press conference. Right. Well, and you see that the Europeans, others, are, are still not letting Israeli tourists in, and, and the fact is, you look at the numbers, the hospitals... The feeling is that they have control of it, that the numbers now beginning to stabilize. The military, is, IDF, has been brought in to uh, under this new czar that they appointed uh, Gamzu right. to, to oversee it. And uh, I think it's a smart move. The prime minister should not be running this day-to-day. He, he, you know, you saw why the president backed off of making these daily briefings, even the governor stopped, because people then also ascribe to you the responsibility if anything goes wrong, mm. and and also get tired of the, the the daily numbers. In New York, obviously, things are are much better, um, and uh, God willing, in Israel, it will turn around. The the experts keep saying, and I've heard it from some, you know, that there'll be another round everywhere, a third round. Part two of the first round or the second round, but it's still something we've not gotten a handle on. That's for sure. All right, there's so much on this list, but uh, got to start wrapping it up. Um, let me ask you about the vice presidential possibilities here in this country on the Democratic side. Uh, the names that you've heard—is there a general statement you can make about their 
attitude toward Israel. I mean, everyone's talking about Kamala Harris, and uh, she's married to a Jewish guy who I who I've been told is not just a, a, a Jew, and you know, in terms of uh, he happens to be Jewish, but somebody who has been outspoken about some of the issues that we care about vis-a-vis Israel. Anything you could tell us about this vice presidential candidate process when it uh, comes to Israel? Well, there are four or five. Uh, I didn't answer you about the hearings. The oh, hearings yeah. in in January are going to be a series, and they're going to take each of the cases and bring the witnesses. So that's why you need time to guess to prepare them. But there will be, you know, the it's case funny. 1,000, 3,000, they're going to be seriatim in the court then. It's funny because it was supposed to start like, like now, like within weeks. Well, they had the hearing, the initial hearing, and then they set the date for the actual uh, the actual bringing of witnesses and which means the trial oh so there was ne- so there was never going to be activity in the second half of 2020 in regard to well, some people wanted it earlier right. and thought it would be earlier yes but January but they they need time and you have four cases or right. three or four cases that are going to be uh, tried Got it. in terms of the candidates um, it's a mixed bag uh, and in this case the vice president choice takes on more significance than right. usual because of candidate is 78 years old and he has said, said he's not running again right and and said it'll be one term and right. uh some of them have uh, mixed works in israel kamala harris uh whose husband is jewish and uh we've we've hosted her and she has said many good things and right things and um there are others there who have also track records that people can can check these are not unknown figures for the most part that you can look at them some have more hostile um uh, records, uh, well, I shouldn't say less supportive records right. than than others. Um, you know that the Democratic platform came out much better than we had feared and, and anticipated. And Biden himself weighed in to make sure the word occupation and some of the other which J- that, which J Street was uh, was calling for. Uh, J Street and Sanders people and others were lobbying for, and some even tried to still push onto the platform, which was finalized on Monday. And thanks to the efforts of, uh, of a lot of people, uh, unsung heroes and some known, uh, a lot of work went into this. And, and uh, thank God the outcome was better than it could have been. And, um, um, you know, the platforms are significant in, in the reflection of power, but you see that there are strong forces there still pushing for more radical uh, positions or changing positions vis-a-vis Israel, although the expression of support for Israel's integrity blah, 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 is, was uh, incorporated uh, uh, by, and supported by most of the people. Um, the, the fact that they were not able to change some of the language and ways that they wanted, uh, although it, uh, people it calls for two states, but it does call for return to the JCPOA agreement, which is mm. Biden's uh, position all along. Right. So I think people should watch and try to read up on the different candidates. Obviously, nobody has a choice in it but Biden in the end, and he will make the decision, I think, in the next couple of days, announce a decision in the next couple of days. Uh, and um, Yeah, I remember uh, Hillary uh, announced on, uh, on a Saturday, so who knows, by tomorrow night Kamala Harris could be the vice presidential candidate. Well, they look for where we'll get the maximum impact and who, who will live up to well, he has certain commitments. One is it's a woman and a, and a woman of color. Uh, and then we'll have to see what other people are going to be likely to be in the cabinet, because this one the cabinet, I think, will be very influential. Who's likely to be Secretary of State, National Security Advisor? And, of course, people will be in charge of domestic affairs. And to what degree 
do the more radical elements in the Democratic Party uh, dominate in the Republican Party? The platform is essentially the same as it was last time. <clears throat> Even makes reference to the president, which was then Obama, but this time right. it's, it's still refer- it's references to Trump. Um, uh, so th- there's no change, and that has strong pro-Israel planks in it. Uh, but it will be a very interesting campaign because if there's no in-person or very limited in-person campaigning, if the debates are really going to be just by Zoom and not in person, if, uh, you know, we won't really have the same opportunities that you usually have with the rallies, with the other things that build excitement and interest, and what will happen with the voting? Uh, you know, I know people who called me this week about their voting in the New York primaries and right. said that their mail was now returned. Right. Even though they were on time, their vote was discounted. Yep. So it's very, it's very, it's great concern about how do you really conduct an, uh, an election this way. That is for sure. Malcolm, I thank you. Enjoy Shabbos Nachum. We'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos Nachum. Nachum. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Friday for the weekly update here at JM and AM.